Um, we're doing okay? Everybody's ready for the ball game? Go ahead and get that out of the way. Um, we are uh, been in a series uh, traveling through, I know, chuckle, chuckle, right? We're excited about it. I'm hoping the Bulldogs pull it out, right? Aren't you? Can we amen that? All right. Well, I know we have a number of folks that have already flown north, and some of y'all may be still heading that way, so we pray for your traveling safety as you go, and I look forward to enjoying that national. We'll celebrate a national championship on Wednesday night. How about that? Uh, with tomato soup and grilled cheese. Um, so uh, we've been traveling through a series on the life of Joseph. This started back in, I think, November, and then we took a time out. Now we're back into that this week, and we come to um, Genesis chapter 47 last week, and there was just a lot of material here, and so I want to uh, dive back into some more of this um, today. Our, and and thinking about this is the second Sunday of the new year, and so some, as I was working through the sermon, some of this really resonated with how we approach uh, the new year. And so I wanted to give you kind of some thoughts for the new year that flow out of uh, the insight that we gain from the text here today. So our text comes from Genesis chapter 47. This is where, uh, as you, if you were here last week, remember last week, listen to it online. Um, we, Joseph's brothers were introduced to Pharaoh, um, and now his father's coming to be introduced to Pharaoh. And so things are um, bumping along pretty good for Joseph and his family. They've been moved to Egypt. Jacob's 130 years old when the two of these, uh, when Pharaoh and Jacob meet. Um, and we have a meeting between uh, the most powerful man of the most powerful nation on the planet, Pharaoh, um, and the, uh, one of the patriarchs of the Christian faith, of the Jewish faith, uh, the Christian faith. Um, and so this is the recording of that. So Genesis chapter 47, let's stand to our feet and read together Genesis 47 verses 7 through 12, the meeting between Jacob and Pharaoh. Here we go, verse 7. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Verse 12. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So let's just kind of jump in here. We're not going to get at all of this text today. Again, we may put some of this off into the coming weeks. But look at verse 7. It says, Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood in before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Again, we have a meeting between these two heads of state. We have a guy who's the leader of the most powerful nation on the planet, Pharaoh, and a fellow who will be um, known throughout history. I mean, I don't even know the Pharaoh's name that he was meeting with, right? But we sure do know who Jacob is. And Jacob's name will continue on throughout history. Verse 8, it says, And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? Remember, he's 130 years old. So he probably is wearing 130 years. Probably a little bit obvious. I think Pharaoh asked the question part just out of shock uh, that there's this man standing standing before me who's 130 years old, and also perhaps some follow-up questions of curiosity, which the text doesn't record, of how did you get to live 130 years? That would be an interesting thing to know. Um, so the question that he asked Pharaoh, the thing that he blurts out is, how old are you? 
Um, now, that's a really simple question, and we would expect that Jacob would offer a really simple uh, response. He would just say, well, I'm 130 years old, but that's not exactly what Jacob says. So let's take a look at his response. It says in verse 9, and Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. He says, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. So what is he talking about here? When that statement, when he says, in the days of the years of the life of my fathers, fathers. He's referring to his father Isaac. Isaac lived to be 180 years old. He's also referring to his grandfather Abraham who lived to be 175 years old. And so when he says, look, the days of my life are but few, um, he's comparing himself to his father and his grandfather who lived to be 180, 175 respectively, uh, and he's only 130 years old. So Jacob views himself as a young man. Uh, when you consider what he's comparing himself against. So in my sojourning, he's not even gotten close to the days of the years of them. Um, the Hebrew word that's translated there, sojourning, is the word magur, and it means to be on a journey. It's a word that is translated in some other text, perhaps you're reading from an NIV or another translation I read from the ESV, uh, that say that use the word pilgrimage. And so it's a really good translation of that word of this text. Um, I think it's quite significant when we examine or when we consider that Jacob is the one who says this. Jacob says, the years of my sojourning. So when he looks at his life, he thinks of his life as a journey, okay? And I think that it's really important when, you know, here's a man who has talked directly to God, whom God has appeared to, who he has wrestled with God. Uh, so the second person of the Trinity came down and had a wrestling match with Jacob, and Jacob would not let go of him um, until he had blessed him. And so this man, by my estimation, has a unique and rich and valued perspective of life, and he calls life a journey. The book of Hebrews um, says it like this. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, the writer referring to the early patriarchs says of them, these all died in faith, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot more about this text. As I said, I think I'm going to put some of this off for the coming weeks because there's so much here in this exchange between, between Jacob and the Pharaoh. And so we'll get into that in the coming weeks. Uh, but for now, I just wanted to lift out this perspective that Jacob has of life and see what that might have to show us about um, the years ahead for you and I. Um, so that's where we're going to end our text for today. And so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? Um, well, the key insight is that we need to see life the way Jacob saw life as a journey or as a pilgrimage. Um, when you hear the word journey, what do you think of? A 70s rock band. I think somebody said it. That's what I thought of when I heard the word journey, right? I mean, they were a really good band, but that's, that's not kind of what we're going for here. Um, when we hear the word journey, we probably think of somebody who is somewhere, and they're on their way to somewhere else, right? They're on their way someplace, um, but they're not there yet. And that's what a journey is. It's somebody who's on their way somewhere, but they haven't gotten there yet. They're in transit, right? They're in this location. They're heading there. They're on their way. Um, they haven't yet reached their final destination. That's the essence of a journey. And that's what Jacob meant when he referred to his years here on earth as sojourning. So when, when Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? He says, well, the years of my sojournings. This is his perspective of his life. He sees his life as its way on to somewhere else. He saw his years on earth toward, heading toward a final destination, and that destination being eternity. All of the Bible supports this view of life, that we're just passing through it. For instance, Job chapter 14 and verse 1, Job says, Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Verse 2, he comes out like a flower and withers. Very short. I hear that long. 
He flees like a shadow and continues not. Psalm chapter 39 and verse 4, David says, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. How fleeting, he says, let me know how fleeting I am. Verse 5, behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as just a, a breath and he's gone. And perhaps the most famous passage of all on this topic comes from James's letter in the New Testament. James writes chapter 4 and verse 14, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for just a little while and then it vanishes. The Bible reminds us that life is short, that we're not going to be here forever. And so this is a perspective that the Scriptures give us, that we're just passing through. I came across an article recently of a young girl who had cancer, and because of her cancer, she had had to have one of her legs amputated. Now, this is a 16-year-old teenage girl. And uh, she's being interviewed by a reporter about this cancer that she's been dealing with and how she's been handling all the situation. And the reporter asked her a difficult question, as sometimes reporters may do. And the reporter's question was, are you terminal? I mean, what a question to ask somebody, especially of a 16-year-old girl, somebody who's facing this great challenge. And so asked her the question, are you terminal? And I was amazed at the young teenage girl's response. And here's what she said. She said, well, you know, we're all terminal. It's just some, that some of us are more aware of it than others. Isn't that a great answer? It's just that some of us are more aware of it than others. She's merely pointing out the fact that death is something that is inescapable. We are all terminal. You know, I do a lot of funerals, and I remind people when I'm at funerals of the people that are sitting there in the pews that, you know what, one day we're all going to be sitting up here at the front, and we're going to be in a box just like the person that we're saying nice things about, and hopefully people will say nice things about us on our day. Um, but I just remind people that, you know, we're all going to be in this situation one day. Uh, it was Mark Twain who said these words. Mark Twain said, the only certainties in life are what? Death and taxes, that's right. Friends, every one of us is sojourning. We are just passing through. As the young cancer patient said, we're all terminal. Every one of us. Life is short and death is certain. And so what difference does all this make to you and me? Well, first of all, when we die, we will have an appointment with Almighty God. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says these words, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Friends, forget about reincarnation. I mean, you're not coming back as a worm. You're not coming back as a cow. You're not coming back as some other person. What's going to happen to you when you die, when you leave this earth, you're going to breathe your last breath, and you're going to be standing before God in heaven. That's where you're going to be. Just like Jacob, this world is not our final destination. We are on a journey. Now, one thing that I hope we see is that every journey has a destination. You say, Gordon, well, you've already told us that every journey has a destination. We already know about that. But my point is that when we lead this life, we have one of two destinations that all of us will land on, or two landing pads. The first of those is what the Bible calls heaven, and the second is what the Bible calls hell. And the Bible says that every one of us is going to land on one of those two landing pads. That's where the plane's going to come down, right? And that either way, we're going to face God, and either way, whether we go to heaven or hell, we're going to, God is going to evaluate our lives. Now, I know that hell is not exactly a popular topic for us to be talking about. Most folks would rather that we not even mention it, but friends, the fact that we don't want to talk about it and that it's not popular does not suggest that it's not real. God says this is the way it is, that heaven is real, that hell is real, and these are things that we need to consider, and that we're going to land on one or the other of those two landing pads. What determines whether or not I get to heaven is not how I lived here on the earth or whether I kept the Ten Commandments or how many times I came to church or whether or not I gave money to God. It has nothing to do with any of that. 
What determines which of the two landing pads I get, what determines whether or not I get to go to heaven, is what I did with Jesus Christ while I was on my journey. Did I respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, or did I reject the gospel of Jesus Christ? What did I do with that message about what Jesus had come, the blood that he shed on the cross for your sins and mine? Did I do anything with that, or did I reject it? Friends, that will determine where we land, which of the two landing pads we get when we go to the end of this life. Um, The Bible also says that if we refuse God's offer of Jesus' death on the cross, if we reject his offer to pay for our sins, then the destination of our sojourning is the landing pad of hell. And again, I don't like to tell anybody that. I mean, none of us likes to tell anybody that. Believe me, I don't like that. I find no joy in telling anyone that, but people need to know the truth. And if we sugarcoat hell, we're doing them a disservice. That is not a solution, friends. The solution is to take God's way out. And Jesus is God's solution. And so if you've never made that decision to invite Jesus Christ into your life, to ask him to forgive you of your sins, that's something for you to think about. Now, if you're here today um, and you've trusted in Jesus Christ, as many of us have, then we will be landing on the landing pad called heaven. And that's great news. But just getting into heaven, that's only the first part of what happens. Yeah, we want to get onto the shores of heaven. I get that. But that's only the first part of when we get there. The Bible teaches that when we get to heaven, each of us will undergo a performance review. Not to decide whether or not we get to stay in heaven, but to decide what rewards we get once we're there. And so I'd like to spend the balance of my time talking about that. How do I know that, uh, knowing, knowing that, that we're, when we get to heaven, there are going to be rewards that we're going to be, sh- be shared with us. Um, what difference all that makes to your life and mine. So I got three areas for you. Knowing that we're on a journey, knowing that we're just passing through, and that when we get to the other side of eternity, that we're going to have to face God, and there's going to be a performance review that's going to happen, a conversation between he and I, that we're going to have to look Jesus Christ into the eyeballs, and we're going to talk with him about our life and how we lived our life. Um, And he's going to welcome us into heaven because we put our faith and trust in him. But then there's this conversation that has to happen. And so that should make a difference to us. So the first difference that makes is how we use our time while we're on this journey. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14 says these words, making the most of the time because the days are evil. What Paul is saying is that time, there's a limited supply of it. That we don't just have all the time in the world. That we literally, there's going to come a moment when we give our last breath, and that was the time that we had while we were here on this earth. Moses said in in Psalm chapter 90, Moses actually wrote Psalm chapter 90, verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Have you noticed that people out in the world think that they're going to live forever? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, you run across people, they're not even thinking about the other side of the grave. They're not even thinking about uh, when they come to the end of their life. And then all of a sudden they get to the end of their life and it's total panic, right? What am I, whoa, what's going on here? What, how, I need to make some adjustments really quick. Friends, we are not going to be here forever. And people need to know that. We need to use our time like we don't have an unlimited supply of it because we don't. The Bible says we need to be very deliberate and discerning with our time. You may have more than me. Uh, I may have less than you or vice versa. But both of us have a limited supply. And when it's gone... It's gone. Friends, this ought to make us live differently. When we have an opportunity to spend time with our children, we have an opportunity to spend time with our spouse, you say, well, you know, maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year. But friends, we don't know that there's going to be a next week, a next month, or a next year. Time is not unlimited. There's a limited supply of it. 
when we have the chance to serve the Lord, if somebody says, you know, could you do this or could you do that or could you help out with the missions conference? Uh, self-serving here, sorry. Uh, many times we say, you know what, I don't think I can do that now, but I'll catch you on the next time around. Well, friends, we don't know that there's going to be a next time around. We've got to stop putting things off and acting like we've got time unlimited because we do not have time unlimited. We need to make the most of every moment that we have for the Lord, for our families, for other people, because that time is going to run out. Second difference this makes to your life and mine, knowing that we're on a journey, that we're just passing through, and we get to the end of this life and breathe our last, we're going to head off to eternity. Knowing that we're on this journey and ought to make an impact on the, number one, on the way, on our time, how we use our time, and secondly, how we use our money or our material things, our material resources. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7, Paul writes, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Shortly after John D. Rockefeller passed away, his accountant was asked the question by a reporter, How much money did John D. Rockefeller leave behind? And you know what the accountant said? He said, All of it. See, I'll remember that. I actually used that in an illustration in a sermon a while back. But anyhow, all of it. How about that? You know what? Their hearses do not pull U-Hauls. I've never seen it. Um, I got a picture for you here of a, of a pyramid. I don't know if y'all have ever been to Egypt. I've never been to Egypt before. It, actually, pretty fascinating that they built all this. Uh, but this is uh, the Great Pyramid. And there's, it's a complex of pyramids there in Giza, Egypt. And uh, he'll just scroll through some of the pictures. But this goes deep inside of the pyramid. You can see some of the steep inclines on, that folks be able to get down in it. And then there's, some, uh, there's a, the king's chamber inside. I think that's what the big... Uh, picture is of the king's chamber, and you can see the sarcophagus there where the mummy was placed. And I don't remember which of the um, which of the pharaohs this was that was buried in this particular pyramid. But one of the things that they would do in Egypt when they buried these pharaohs is they would bring in tons and tons of gold and tons and tons of silver and jewels and all sorts of precious things. Um, and they would place these in the tombs. And of course, all this stuff was robbed by grave robbers, um, you know, decades, centuries later. Um, so none of it's there today. But they would put all this stuff in there because the fair, intending the pharaoh might need these items in the next life. So when they got into the next life, they might need this gold, they might need these jewels, etc. Um, and so the interesting thing is, though, after the pharaoh died, the grave robbers came and all the gold was still there. Uh, the, the historians and archaeologists came and the, and the pharaoh, was, 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 his body was still there. Um, and, and the tomb was all still there and, and all that. Um, the point is that try as we might, and boy, those pharaohs really tried, didn't they? We are not going to be able to take anything with us. Paul said you didn't come into the world with anything, and when you leave, you're going to leave it all behind. He goes on to say in verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, that is not to be arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Verse 19, thus storing up treasures in heaven uh, for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You want to know, friends, how to actually send ahead, to really send ahead riches to heaven? It's by giving it away while you're here on this earth. Find somebody with a need and help them. The Bible says you'll be storing up treasures in heaven. 
Jesus said in a parable to a man who was uh, fabulously wealthy. He'd had a really great year, and so um, his, his storage bins couldn't contain all the grain that he had uh, harvested that year, and so he built bigger barns. And so Jesus comes to him and says to him, he says, you fool, after he built all these barns, he says, you fool, this night your soul is required of you, Luke chapter 12 and verse 20. In other words, don't you understand? Don't you know that you can't? You're going to leave it all behind. You can't take any of this stuff with you. Um, and if you, if you had given it, paid it for, if you had sent it ahead, if you had uh, helped others with it, then you would have some treasure in heaven waiting for you. Listen, when Jesus calls you a fool, we ought to sit up and take a listen. And many of us are making the mistake of hoarding up riches here only to be poor in eternity. Now, if you and I were going to be permanent residents here, I would encourage us to store up all that we could. If this was our home forever and we weren't just passing through, I would say definitely build bigger storehouses, do all that you can, store up all you can, save all you can. Um, but instead, we know that we're just passing through. We know that we're just sojourners. And so we need to give it away to the Lord and to people in need. Um, number three, knowing that we're on a journey and that we're just passing through this life that should motivate us, number three, to be obedient to God. To be obedient to God. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter chapter uh, 2 and verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage against your soul. Um, I, there's a place out on 441. I don't know if you all ever get south of Watkinsville, but there's a place out on 441 when you're heading north uh, in toward town. You get to where Hog Mountain Road exit is, Highway 53. There's a spot there where the um, police officers sit. And uh, you're coming down a hill, and then you go into a turn, and then you start up the hill, and then all of a sudden the radar's on you. And I have personally never sped through that area. Um, and have never had a ticket. But I have watched many other people pulled over on the side of the road. And over the years, as I've seen people being pulled over on the side of the road, it's like, okay, I, here comes that hill, and I'm coming into that turn, and I'm about ready to get hit with some radar. And sure enough, yesterday morning, I was coming down through that area at about 7.15 in the morning, and there was a state trooper sitting there. He was focused down the hill. And so there was everybody. The folks who are local, they know to slow down there. But the folks that are coming up through 441, heading on somewhere else, they don't know. And those are usually the ones that are pulled over on the side of the road. Um, now think about that in terms of when we come to the end of this life. Knowing that the Lord Jesus is poised at the end of this life, that we're going to have to stand before him, look him in the eyeballs, have a conversation about this life, about what we did in this life. Friends, that should motivate me to want to obey God's rules. That ought to change the way I live, right? I mean, that, that makes sense, right? We know that there's a police officer there. We're coming down the hill. I'm going to slow down when I come into that little area, make sure that I'm not speeding when I come into that area. Well, same thing. When I get to the end of this journey and I take my last breath, I know that I'm going to be standing before the Lord in eternity. And so that should motivate me to want to follow him. Why, as Christians... Don't we steal? Why as Christians don't we lie or cheat? Why shouldn't I as a Christian sleep with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend? Why shouldn't I as a Christian defy my parents' authority? Why shouldn't I as a Christian look at women in a way that's dishonoring to them and to the Lord? Why? Is it because I'm going to lose my place in heaven? No. Is it because it's because when I do get to heaven, I'm going to have to stand before the Lord and face and have a, a, an evaluation, right? A performance review 
of my life and give an account for what I did with what God gave me. Paul called it terrifying, the thought of having to face God, because with God, we're not going to pull one over on him. I mean, we may, we may come home after, you know, come in late at night into our mom and dad's house, and, and, and we weren't out beyond our curfew or something like that. We may have some story that we spin to them or something like that, or, you know, somebody was running late somewhere and I had to run them home or whatever it might be. But friends, when we're standing before God, we're not going to be able to pull any of that over on him. He's going to see right through whatever excuses we might offer, whatever explanations we might try to give. And if I'm not prepared to do that, then maybe, you know, if I'm, if I'm thinking about doing something, if I'm not prepared to stand before God and give an account for it, then maybe, maybe I better not do that. All right, let's sum up. Friends, if we really understand that in this life we are just passing through, that we are sojourners, then that ought to make a difference in how we use our time, it ought to make a difference in how we use our money and our material resources. And it ought to make a difference in us living an obedient life to Jesus Christ. So my question to you this morning as we close out is, do you see yourself as living here forever? Like, is this your forever home? Or do you think about yourself as just passing through? That... I mean, if you think of this as your eternal home, you're going to be here forever, and you're saying, you know, this is mine, I'm here, I'm staying here, nobody's throwing me out of this place. Or do you see yourself as a sojourner, just passing through? That none of this is mine. And what I need to do is, as I'm passing through is to live in such a way that I'm going to be excited to see Jesus Christ when I stand before him. Just passing through or planning to be here forever. That's a unique perspective. It's one that Jacob had. He saw his life as a sojourner, as someone who's just passing through, and it made a big difference in his life, and it can make a big difference in yours and mine. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we thank you for um, just speaking to us today from the life of Joseph and his father Jacob. There's a lot of wisdom there and how they approached their days. Lord, may we uh, draw from that. May it shape us and how we approach uh, the year ahead. Lord, if there are some areas this morning that you have identified in our life where we need to make a change because of this perspective that we've gained from your word, may we, uh, may we be willing to surrender those things over to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your broken body. We thank you for your shed blood. We thank you for um, the cross, which makes all these things possible. God, may we just in this moment of quiet reflection this morning think about um, where we have come, how we are living, and that one day, Lord, we will stand before you and that we will have that conversation. We will thank you. We will glorify you for what you have accomplished in our life. And, Lord, also we will experience that performance review. So, Holy Spirit, this morning, again, if there's something in our life, some area of our life where we need to be get some things straight, make some changes. Lord, prompt us this morning as we reflect on the cross, on your sacrifice and your suffering. We pray these things in Christ's holy name.